want to begin by saying thank you to the students in my NT520 class, both the ones who are participating kind of upfront, but also the ones who are willing to come and take a couple of hours from their um, time this semester and share together in some group exegetical work around this passage. What a um, joy to do that together and to serve with you together this morning. I invite you to pray with me. Oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together might be acceptable in your sight. And that as we think about Mary's song of anticipation together this morning, that you might teach us from that song. I ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So it was about 20 years ago when I first started learning how to preach. And I remember the first pastor who was willing to invite me to stand up in his pulpit. And he said to me something like this, tell us what the text means and then give us some ideas about how to live that out. Oh, that's pretty good advice. Then I came to Asbury and I fell into conversation with some of my preaching colleagues. And I got another tip. This one was, proclaim the good news about God. It's another piece of good advice. And as I prepared for this sermon, I thought about that advice for a long time. It caused me to ask this question. As a person who is privileged, one of the rich rather than one of the hungry, one of the powerful rather than one of the lowly, what is the good news for me in Mary's song? You see, Mary's song starts off on a high note. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And it's easy for me to join in that part of Mary's song. But the song moves quickly on to proclaim God's might and God's strength. And that strength is used for scattering the proud, pulling down the powerful from their thrones, and sending the rich away empty. That same strength is then used to lift up the lowly, to fill the hungry, and I find myself asking, am I able to rejoice in this vision of the world that Mary is rejoicing in? What is the good news to proclaim? Well, I hung out with my preaching colleagues some more. I like them. And I received another piece of advice. And the third piece of advice I received is proclaim who God is. And that's what I want to do today. But I want to do it in a way that's a little bit different than usual. It's almost the end of the semester. For some of us in this season of Advent, including me, that's a place of anticipation. <laughs> and at the end of the semester, many of us have been overwhelmed with words. We spend our days reading, writing, listening to, or in my case, preparing lectures, texting, chatting, talking, discussing, we're overwhelmed with words. It's hard to hear in the midst of so many words. I want to invite you into a simple structure of singing, silence, and listening. You see, Mary's song happens to be right in the middle of a story. It's a story about how she found out she was going to be a mom, 
no pregnancy test involved. And then she rushed off on a 70-mile journey to see her relative Elizabeth, who was living proof that God could do the impossible. And after exchanging greetings with her formerly barren relative, she sings. And her song of rejoicing is like a great big pause button right smack in the middle of the narrative. And that's what I want to invite us to do today, to pause, to slow down. And in the midst of that, to praise God, to proclaim the mighty acts of God, and to remember the promises of God. So how are we going to do this? We're going to sing together some songs in the middle of the sermon. Then after we sing, we're going to have a time of silence so you can just sit and reflect and think about what we've sung together. And then I'll preach a little bit more. And then we'll do that again. And then I'll preach a bit, little bit more and we'll do that a final time. And then we will be um, asking ourselves, I hope, at the end of that, what it is that God wants to speak to us. What is the good news from this um, song of Mary? And what is the nature of the God that we wish to proclaim? So that's how we're going to do this. I, we're, during the time that we sing, um, you're invited to remain seated. The choir will stand, and Casey will help to lead us. So we're going to begin just like Mary, right? Mary began by rejoicing, by magnifying God and rejoicing in God our Savior. And we're going to sing um, a song called Tell Out My Soul, The Greatness of the Lord.
let's continue with Mary by proclaiming the nature of God. In the words of the hymn we just sang, God's mercy sure, from age to age the same. And firm is the promise, and God's mercy sure. We'll come back to this theme of mercy, but let's start where Mary begins, by rejoicing from the very depths of her being because she knows that God is her savior. In these words, she echoes Habakkuk, chapter 3, verse 18. But we'll begin to read at verse 17. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, and there are no grapes on the vine, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He will make me as sure-footed as a deer and bring me safely over the mountains. When Mary rejoices in God her Savior, that rejoicing is not out of context. It's not removed from the reality of her life. God, through the angel Gabriel, had made Mary a promise. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of David his father. He will rule over Jacob's house forever, and there will be no end to his kingdom. This is an astonishing promise that God made to a teenage girl living in a small village of Nazareth under the control of the Roman Empire. There was no reason that we know of for this particular teenage girl to receive this astounding promise that she would be the mother of a baby who would grow to become the king of the eternal kingdom of God. And Elizabeth blesses her by saying, happy is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill the promises he made to her. Mary is blessed because she trusted the one who promises. She believed that God was true to his word and would bring about this amazing fulfillment of the promise that he had made and affirmed to his people over centuries. More than a thousand years before Mary, God had promised to Abraham that all the families of the earth would be blessed through him. And God had affirmed that promise to Moses, to David, to the prophets, and now to Mary, a teenage girl in an occupied country on the edge of the Roman Empire. And now in her song, Mary affirms three things about God. She says about God, God is one who looks and sees. And his gaze is directed towards her, a humble, lowly servant, a person of low status in society. Second, God is mighty and he has used his power for her benefit. Third, sorry, it's not the power that destroys, but the power that has created the life that she now carries within her, a life that will be a blessing to the whole world. Third, she tells us that God's name is holy. The one who is set apart has chosen her and she recognizes that God is both present and holy. 
after Mary has declared the favor that God has shown her, the way that God has used his power on her behalf and has celebrated God's holiness, she turns her attention to God's mercy and his use of that mercy on behalf of generation after generation of people who have reverenced God. And then Mary sings with a prophetic voice. It's not the first time in the biblical text that song has been used to declare the powerful actions of God. We might remember the triumphant song of Miriam, some of the Psalms, and even the song of Habakkuk from which Mary draws. All have a prophetic message about God's character and actions. Over and over again, such songs celebrate God's triumph over the proud and the arrogant. I want to be clear here about the lowly and the proud. Being humble or lowly does not mean being worthless. It means knowing that all the value that you have is derived from the creator. The creator who looks upon the humble with joy and pride. And they gaze back securely with love and joy. This is not the life of the proud, who feel that they have worked and saved and earned their standing and position, and that all those beneath them are indeed of little or no value and have brought their low position upon themselves. The proud fail to acknowledge their similarity to the humble, that they are all human beings made in the image of God, and so, the proud are surprised when they are brought low, and those they consider worthless are raised up. God scatters those who are proud. The phrase here in some translations, God scatters the proud in the imagination of their hearts, reminds me that pride is an internal matter. The ones who are scattered are those who in the deepest part of their being see no need for God and no need to treat their fellow human beings with respect or compassion. God pulls down the mighty from their thrones and lifts up those of low status. Who are the mighty in this text? In the context of Luke, it's most likely the Roman authorities and others who systematically oppress the poor and lowly. Those who operate without regard for God and without compassion for the human beings beneath them. These are the ones who are made low by God. Now, is this simply because God has a zero-sum economy? In other words, that some people have to come down so other people can go up. Is that what we really think about this text? I don't think that. I like this quote from Leonardo Boff. He writes, God flings the proud of heart to the earth in the hope that they will be delivered from their ridiculous vaunting and flaunting to become free and obedient children of God and brothers and sisters to others. And God lifts up the lowly. Who are the lowly? On the one hand, it might be Israel under occupation. On the other hand, this same word, the lowly, has already been used to describe Mary. When God chooses a teenager from a little village on the edge of Galilee to be the mother of God, he lifts up the lowly. When God chooses a barren woman to be the mother of John the Baptist, he lifts up the lowly. 
When God chooses the poor, the hungry, the broken, and the despairing, he lifts up the lowly. So as we think about this reversal between the proud and the lowly, one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is where are we? Where do we find ourselves in that um, choice between the proud and the lowly? And as we think about that, we're going to sing um, our next song, God of Justice, and then we'll have again a, a time of silence afterwards.
fill us up and send us out. We make this our prayer. But let's remember that in Mary's song, being filled with good things is what happens to the hungry and the lowly. Filling up is what happens when we are on our knees rather than what happens when we're standing up on our own two feet. God fills the hungry with good things. I'm just reminded of Marilyn Elliott's sermon last week in which she said, this is for someone who's hungry. God fills the hungry with good things and sends the rich who don't need to depend on him for their food. He sends them away empty. Here, Mary's song draws on Psalm 107, a psalm of thanksgiving that begins as we began today by declaring, Give thanks to the Lord because he is good. Because his faithful love lasts forever. That's what those who are redeemed by the Lord say. The ones God redeemed from the power of their enemies. And the psalm continues. Some of the redeemed had wandered into the desert, into the wasteland. They couldn't find their way to a city or town. They were hungry and thirsty. Their lives were slipping away. So they cried out to the Lord in their distress, and God delivered them from their desperate circumstances. God led them straight to human habitation. Let them thank the Lord for his faithful love and his wondrous works for all people, because God satisfies the one who was parched with thirst, and he filled up the hungry with good things. Do we long to see the hungry filled with good things? If you already long for such things, then my prayer for you is that God will give you the opportunity to see his provision for the hungry. And if you don't yet have such a longing, then my prayer for you is that God might overwhelm your heart with such a desire. This section, verses 50 to 55, focuses on what God has done for others. And I want to point out that while this includes three great reversals, the proud scattered, the rulers torn down, the rich sent away empty, it begins and ends with God's mercy. And it climaxes with God's promise to Abraham and his descendants. God has shown his mercy generation after generation to those who fear him. God's mercy, his forgiveness, compassion, and kindness is particularly directed towards those who reverence God and to Israel, God's chosen people. God's judgment is directed towards those who deny their need of God and who ignore, disregard, and oppress those of low status and those who find it difficult to provide food for themselves. I just have a few more comments about Mary's song. Mary sings a song of rejoicing about the Savior who has chosen her to be the mother of the King of Kings. Mary has sung a song that lays out God's vision for the world. Right, and there's a way in which this song asks us to think about the question, what's your vision of the ideal world? What does it look like? And Mary has sung a prophetic vision of that world, a vision in which the hungry are full and the lowly are lifted up. Such a song asks us in a prophetic way 
to think about our vision of the world and about our vision of God, who he is, what he does, and how he acts. When we rejoice and proclaim that God is my savior, are we rejoicing in a vision of the world in which the poor, the lowly, the refugee, the marginalized, the lower class will be lifted up by God? When we rejoice and proclaim that God is our savior, are we rejoicing in a vision of the world in which God will fill the hungry with good things? When we rejoice and proclaim that God is our savior, are we rejoicing that the proud who think they have no need of God and no need to treat others with compassion or respect will be scattered? In other words, I would put it this way, are we willing to rejoice in the destruction of evil? even if it comes at a cost to ourselves. Or, when we hear this song, is there a little bit of fear in some of our hearts? Are we, and here I'm asking this of myself as a person of privilege, afraid that I might become less in this vision of the world? Am I afraid that I might lose my position or my status my access. One of the things I want to say is that these are super important questions for us to ask, but we also shouldn't lose sight of the fact that these verses are surrounded by God's mercy. His mercy extends to each generation that fears him, verse 50, and he has helped his servant Israel despite all their shortcomings in remembrance of his mercy. Part of God's mercy is the great reversal. That's part of God's mercy, in which those who are filled with pride are brought to a position where they might see their need for mercy. Because in the place of pride, people don't think they need mercy. And where those who have been faithful may receive the mercy that they need for daily life and sustenance. Isn't that a good promise of God? So friends, are you waiting with Mary this Advent season? Are you longing for and anticipating the day when the mighty one will scatter the proud and fill the hungry? If this is your longing, then I invite you to seek the place of humility. That is the place of dependence, where you know that you cannot survive without God, and that only God can lift you up. And our next and final song, I'm inviting that song to be a declaration that we make to one another of our need for humility in the sight of God, the one whom Mary declares as merciful to all the generations that fear him. So we're going to sing together, humble thyself in the sight of the Lord, and I invite you, you know, the choir's going to sing in English and in other languages, and I would invite you, you can sing along with them in the words that are on the screen, or you can continue to sing in whatever language you're comfortable singing in as your prayer and your declaration of the place that you would like to be this morning. <laughs>